is in Exodus chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me. Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses at the burning bush. Be reading verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Dear Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to people like Moses and to people like us. And we pray, Lord, that this morning you would use this time to reveal more of yourself to us that you would use Pastor Paul to open your word up to us. That we would sense your presence here with us. Even though we can't see you, Lord, we know you are here. And we pray that you would speak to us and that you would use your servant Paul to open your word to us. And that we would walk away from here knowing more about you. And having greater peace because of that. Thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. So if you would open up to Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Exodus chapter 3. We're continuing in our series on the oaths of God. Now, this passage that uh, Steve has just read, it comes 400 years or so after the events that we were looking at last week with Jacob prophesying over his children about the last days and particularly the the impact in the last days of the tribe of Judah and the one who's going to come from Judah, the leader, the ruler, uh, that will uh, rule over not only his brethren but over this entire creation. 
of course, that speaks of Jesus Christ in his second coming. Well, we're not here continuing on the second coming. Now, Israel has um, become a nation. What happened in uh, the time of Jacob is that, you know, Joseph, as we heard earlier, Joseph went down to Egypt. Uh, wasn't his own choosing, but by the providence of God, he was raised up to be the uh, grand vizier of Pharaoh and helped to, um, to preserve food for a time of famine which swept through the Middle East. Because there was that famine, Jacob and, uh, well, particularly the, the uh, brethren, went down into Egypt and uh, they were invited there after the reconciliation with Joseph to stay there. And in that place, particularly in the land of Goshen, they became the people of Israel. So here we are, four centuries later, and things have gotten worse, actually, for Israel. It was all right for a while, but then a different pharaoh is raised up who didn't like the spread of the Israelites in his land, thought they were a threat, and started to treat them harshly and to persecute them. God sees what's going on, and now he has come to take his people Israel back to their land, back to the land where Jacob had come from. So that's basically the idea that's, uh, or the, uh, the setting that we have in this story. It is interesting to note that God is very specific. You see, he sent, well, sent, Providentially, again, Moses ended up in the land of Midian. And he was at the Mount Horeb or Sinai. And he sees the burning bush. He gets commissioned and God says that he, when he brings the people out of Egypt, he will bring them to that place to worship God. You say, well, what's, what's interesting about that? Just that Midian is not where most people think it is. If you have your own Bible, if you look at a, a map at the back of your Bible, which identifies the wilderness wanderings or the, the exodus, you will see Midian not on this side, the Egyptian side of the Gulf. You see that Arabia comes down like a V, yes? There's Egypt here. Then you have that V where Saudi Arabia is nowadays. And then you have, so you have the uh, Gulf of Suez, and then you have on the other side of the V, the Gulf of Aqaba, yes? And then you go into the, the land that's on the right side of that. That's where Midian is which means that 
Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai can't be in Saudi Arabia. Do you see? Because he says, I mean, where is he? He's in Midian, at the Mount of God, which means that people have been looking in the wrong place for Mount Sinai for a long time. That's an interesting little fact in and of itself. But what about the story? This story is a covenant story because it's all about God's protection of his people, God's uh, truthfulness or faithfulness to his own covenant word, even over a vast period of time. Verse 1 sets the scene. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses didn't know it was the mountain of God at that time. This is looking back on the story. How did Moses end up in Midian in the first place? Well, you know the story that Moses was raised up in Egypt in the royal family there, but he was out one day and he saw an Egyptian maltreating a Jew and he slew the Egyptian. Well, he knew that, uh, you know, his number was up from then on in, in Egypt, so he got out of there and he ended up in Midian. That's what he'd been doing. He'd been shepherding flocks out there in Midian. What on earth is God doing? Just think about this. This is not the way you would do it. This is not the way you would organize things, okay? You wouldn't take the person that you were choosing to lead Israel uh, out of Egypt and stick him for 40 years, hundreds of miles away, on the backside of a desert in Midian. But this is God, you see. You would think, I mean looking from a, a just a, a, a horizontal point of view, taking God out of things at the moment, you would think, well, you know, Moses, he's gone. So whoever's going to be raised up, you know, it's not going to be a guy who's, who's already out of Egypt. So the hopes of the people of Israel after four centuries of being in Egypt is going to have to be raised up in, in Egypt itself. Not this forgotten guy in, in Midian. I mean, he's out of the story, surely. No. God doesn't often do things the way that we think he should do them. And we're very glad about that, by the way. God is not uh, hemmed in by circumstances. He is not... Um, he is not burdened or obstructed by anything. It's nothing to him to reach over to Midian and pick the man that he's always had designated to come back and do the job that he has been trained for and raised for. In all of this, the word is providence. Providence, you see, is hard sometimes, especially when you're in the situation. It's hard to identify. 
It's hard to, to put your finger on what God is doing with me right now. It seems like I'm cut loose sometimes. And things are just developing in front of me and uh, there's no plan, there's no purpose in all of this and, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. What is the purpose, we might say to ourselves, in the situation that I've been in for the last few months, few years? What is the point of it? And the point of it is that God knows us. God is aware of our situation. We must we must by faith always understand this. God has not forgotten you. He knows your situation. You're where God wants you to be. You say, well, I don't want to be there. I understand it. I do understand that. But you are in the situation that you're in And you're where God wants you to be. He hasn't forgotten about you. Now, whether you are acting by faith and by submission to God in the way that God wants you to act in that situation, that's another thing. Do you see this? But just knowing that God hasn't forgotten about you, just knowing that God knows your circumstances should hopefully inspire you to obey him and know that there's a purpose to all of what you've been through. Moses is in Midian, tending sheep. Israel is being burdened. I mean, he doesn't know what's going on there. There's no internet or anything to tell him what's going on hundreds of miles away in Egypt. But, but here's Moses. He's gotten married and he's now, you know, fully immersed in a life away from Egypt and away from Israel. He gets up one morning and uh, he gets his sheep And he leads them to pasture. And he comes to this place in Midian called Horeb, where there's a a mountain. And he's feeding the sheep. And then he looks up and he sees a fire. It's a contained fire. It's an unusual fire. And he looks up and he sees that this fire is in a bush. Probably a large bush. But he sees that it's not the bush that's burning. It's not that, you know, somehow that bush got dry and caught fire, maybe in the summer heat. He notices that the bush is not consumed at all by the fire. The fire's raging on it. But the bush, the leaves are still on it. And it doesn't seem to be affected at all by the fire over it. Something strange is going on. So he thinks, well, I'm going to go up there and just take a closer look. 
That's when God speaks to him. So what's the point of the burning bush? To get his attention. You see? God appears in a miraculous way. He doesn't, you know, speak out of the, uh, out of the, the thunder or the storm. He doesn't, um, you know, produce a, an amazing miracle like a, you know, a, a bank of angels and, that he see, that Moses sees and then God speaks through them. No, it's just a bush that's burning. But it's enough to get Moses' attention. And Moses is brought aside from what he's doing. He's now captivated by this bush. And God speaks to him. All of this time, 40 years, he's been in Midian. Spinning his wheels. It might have seemed like it. But no, there is a time that God acts. And it's the same for us, folks. We're not spinning our wheels. We're not spinning our wheels. So verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. It could be that he actually saw the angel. Yes, it does appear from the wording that that might be the case, in which case this is what's called a theophany. This is an appearance of God in the Old Testament, and this would be the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, that he's seeing over the bush in the fire. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, hey, God knows his name. It's been 40 years. But God knows his name. God knows your name. God knows your name. It may have been a long time since you can identify a time when you really saw God doing something for you. you maybe you can look back to a time when, when yet yeah, Lord, the Lord did this to me. He, he protected me in this situation. He took care of me in this situation, but the time has passed maybe a little bit now. And maybe we, we forget about that. But don't ever think that God's forgotten about you. God knows Moses' name. He knows your name. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. What made it holy ground? I mean, it's just ground, the same as all the other ground that was around there. What made it holy ground? The presence of God. The presence of God. In that sense, you are holy ground if you're a Christian. 
Do you understand that? You are holy ground because you have the Holy Spirit within you. So wherever you go and whatever you're doing, it's holy, you take holy ground with you. So Moses obeys and God speaks to him about his covenant with Abraham. Moreover, he said, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses was raised to be a warrior, and he certainly would have been raised to be a warrior in the Egyptian court. He was raised to uh, know bravery and fight his fears. He was a brave man. But brave men are nothing when it comes to the appearance of God and the voice of God in front of them. God is something very different than facing a, a lion or a foe or an army. God is something else. <clears throat> Look how God speaks to him. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is what we were looking at last week. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you see those three names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together, the subject is Israel. The subject is the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac and repeated to Jacob, which concerns the tribes of Israel. Their perpetuity, their covenant relationship with God, which was a unilateral covenant. In other words, it was a, it was a grace covenant. It was nothing that uh, Israel had to do in order to be in this covenant with God, this Abrahamic covenant. Now, when we get on to the Mosaic covenant, there are certain things that Israel has to do. But not with this covenant, the one with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the covenant that guarantees the perpetual existence of Jews, of the nation of Israel before God. They may not always be in their land. They may be dispersed throughout the nations. They may be rebellious as they are today against their God. But God remembers his covenant with his people. God is a God of covenants. God will uphold his end of the covenant. And when it comes to these covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, and later we'll run into the priestly covenant with Phineas, and we'll look into the Davidic covenant, and we'll look into the new covenant that we've just celebrated. God is the only one who makes it. He's the only one obligated to keep it. And he surely will. Even if time goes by, even if his people drift away, even if uh, it seems that it's all been forgotten, it hasn't been forgotten by God. God says to Moses, I am the God of 
Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus Christ, of course, picks up on this, doesn't he, in the Gospels. And in answer to the Sadducees, he says, well, you've never read this. You've never read this. This is famous. This is, this is like a, a, a crucial pillar of Jewish faith. Moses and the burning bush. And right there in that context, God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what does Jesus say to this to prove that God means what he says, that God is a God of covenant, and that that covenant implies relationship? He says, God, therefore, is not the God of the dead, but of the living implying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with whom God made this covenant, are with God. That God is faithful. They've been removed, yes, from the scene of history, but they have not been removed from the scene in heaven. They're with God now. And so what is it that there is a 400-year gap between the end of um, Genesis and this chapter. What is it to God? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been with God for all of that time. Why? Because God has made this covenant with them. And so when they die, that's not the end of it. It's just the beginning of it, actually. And in the same way, God has made covenants with us. We were in Galatians chapter 3 earlier this morning. If you weren't there, shame on you. Um, Galatians chapter 3. Paul uh, has an argument there which ties in a Christian's faith with the Abrahamic covenant. Not with the covenant, that the part that has to do with uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Not with the, the land that will be given to that nation, but with the third part of the Abrahamic covenant, which set, states, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are blessed by that third part of the Abrahamic covenant through Jesus Christ and his relationship to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which means that a Gentile, like we're Gentiles, is involved, is included in the Abrahamic covenant. That's a faith covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Abraham didn't have to do anything to be in covenant with God. I mean, he obeyed God, okay? But God made the covenant with him after Abraham believed him. A simple act of faith. And we have believed God in what he has done through his son Jesus Christ and what he is doing even now through Christ's intercession and the Holy Spirit being within us. We believe this. We know this to be true. And therefore, we are included in the Abrahamic covenant, a faith covenant. There's nothing, we don't need to be in another covenant. We don't need to be in the Mosaic covenant for sure. Which is a works covenant where we're always looking over our shoulders to see if we've done enough. 
No, this one is sure, it's just by grace. It's simply by grace. And God remembers us in that faith covenant. So God here says in verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Part of us might want to say, well, if you, Lord, with respect, if you knew their sorrows, if you knew their taskmasters, if you knew this was going on, why didn't you act earlier? Or can I bring it down to our level, personal level? Lord, if you knew about all of the things that I was going through, if you knew about my life, why haven't you acted earlier to do something about it? Have you ever thought that like that? Why do I have to endure this? The answer is, although it's, not, it's rather inconclusive, the final answer we will get when we meet the Lord. But the answer is that there is a time and a season for everything. We are, we are to use a mechanical uh, illustration, we're cogs in a wheel. We all have a function to do. We all have something to do, even though it seems that it's innocuous and we're not doing anything. We actually do have a purpose. And if it means that uh, that purpose is not a, you know, the most glamorous of purposes, and if it means some difficulty and some suffering to do it, we must always understand that that's part of God's plan and we do it willingly for the Lord, knowing that he sees, that he knows. God had already predicted when he called uh, Abraham aside in Genesis 15, he'd already predicted that your people will be strangers in a strange land for 400 years. It's the way that God, in his foreknowledge, had planned for Israel to grow and develop. It was, yes, in the furnace of iron but it is what God had planned if he did that for a whole nation maybe he's planned a bit of a furnace adventure for you too you say well I'd rather I was out of the furnace than in it I understand I do I sympathize absolutely as somebody who's been in the furnace But I'm here to tell you that whether you are in the furnace or whether you're going in the furnace or whether you've been in it and you've questioned God about it, there is a purpose to what you've done. It's not meaningless. God Waited, yes, but he had his reasons for waiting. 
So verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, sorry, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And he mentioned those in Genesis 15. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, um, in the, the fifth seal, John sees souls under the altar. Do you remember that? He sees souls under the altar. And they're crying out. How long? How long will it be until you judge those who maltreated us? How long will it be until you act on our behalf? They wanted justice. Not fairness, justice. They wanted God to respond and to comfort them, to help them. They wanted an answer. And they got an answer from God that they, there was just a little more time <laughs> that they had to be there until their brethren were also uh, killed in that manner. You say, why? I don't know why, but God has his reasons. There is a time and a season for everything. Here, now, God says that he's seen. The cry has finally come up to him. He's seen the oppression of the Egyptians. And now it's time to act. Come now, therefore, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. They never stop being God's people. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now, this, this is the most mighty nation on earth. Okay? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, talk about a hard job. So I'm going to bring my, a, a whole nation, probably two million people or more. You, you're calling me to go back into Egypt and to bring the whole of the Jews out with me. What do you think about that commission? Who am I? So he said, verse 12, I will certainly be with you. That's it. I will certainly be with you. God calls Moses to do this job. Moses can't do it on, on his own power and his own ability. He can only do it because God's going to be with him. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. Oh, good. What's it going to be? Some, some amazing, uh, powerful act, some incredible uh, 
power that's going to go in front of Moses, so he's just going to march him into Egypt with this power around him, and no one's going to be able to touch him or intimidate him or do anything to him. These things are just going to happen. Is this what God says to him? No. After you've done it, this will be a sign to you. That's what he says. Yeah. After you've done it, the sign will come. You will bring them here. That, that's when you'll know. I mean, fortunately, there are other things included that uh, will happen in Egypt. But as far as Moses knows here in the commissioning, that's it. That's all the information he gets. You're going to go in there and you'll know that, uh, that I've sent you by the fact that you'll be back here with Israel, worshipping me. How's that for a sign? Well, Lord, I was rather hoping for a, you know, a sign like to help me before I do that, you see. But that's not what he gets. Why? Because the only sign that he needs, the only thing that he needs, are those words at the beginning of verse 12. I will certainly be with you. That's it. That's good enough, isn't it? It ought to be good enough. And God, God is with us. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's our savior. And he's our brother and he's our friend. And he's our king. Which means that whichever situation that we are in, whatever God has us doing right now, there is a purpose and God is with us. The question is, what is our response to that? And we know Moses had a bit of a, you know, problem with that. Well, I'm not much of a speaker. And he tried God's patience. But God was patient with him. Maybe we might question God and argue with God a little bit about why we're in the particular circumstances that we're in or why did this happen in my life. But where we need to come out is where Moses came out, and that is with obedience and trust and a full understanding that this is not meaningless. Our lives have purpose. We are where God wants us to be. God knows our names. He knows our struggles. He has he's seen our sorrows. And he's in covenant with us. God and the Christian are in a covenant. What kind of a covenant is it? Well, there are two kinds of covenants, basically two kinds of covenants in the Bible. One of them is where God signs up for something and you sign up to do something else. That's the Mosaic covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. You say, well, I'm going to do this. And then you don't do it. 
He does his part, you don't do your part. That's the Mosaic covenant. You're not in that covenant. You're not under that covenant. There's nothing that you have to do. God, though, is in covenant with you. He's in the second sort of covenant, which is called an unconditional covenant. That's one where God comes in and God puts his character on the line and God says, I'm going to do this for you. And he doesn't say, that. and what are you going to do for me? Here, I've signed on the dotted line. You sign now on the dotted line. You're not in that kind of a covenant. You don't have to sign anything. But God has signed. His signature, as it were, is on that covenant with you. That means that covenant is good for you. It's good news for you. So how are you going to, how am I going to respond to that? The response that God wants is simple. It's faith. It's just simple faith. I will be with you. God might ask us to do something that may be extremely difficult in the years ahead. Who knows? And maybe that difficulty is actually staying in the situation that we're in. Maybe it's that. The way that we live, the way that we persevere in that situation, in that calling, depends so much upon whether we really understand that God is in covenant with us, God has not forgotten about us. God has a purpose for us. And therefore, our response has got to always be not one of demoralization and wondering. It's just got to be in faith. I'm here because this is your plan for me. It has purpose. It has meaning. It will have great rewards for me. And I'm just going to be faithful. There's more to say on this, of course. But God, he hasn't forgotten about you. He didn't forget about Moses. He didn't forget about Israel. He hasn't forgotten about his church and he hasn't forgotten about you. Let's make sure that we, therefore, do not forget about him. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, you know, you made that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their lives were not easy. They certainly were not always um, the most spiritual of men, particularly Jacob. And yet you were faithful, Lord. And now... They are with you in glory because of your covenant with them. Moses is with you in glory. And you did exactly what you said you would do with him. You went down with him into Egypt and you brought the people of Israel out using him. 
you have uh, promised us many things through Jesus Christ and the new covenant. That means that you have voluntarily entered into a covenant with us and you will keep it. That should give us hope. Because just as you called out Moses' name on that different day thousands of years ago, Lord, one day you're going to call out our name because you know us. You know what we have to go through. You know the trials of our faith. And it is up to us, Father, to acknowledge that our God has not forgotten about us. Help us, Heavenly Father, not to be faithless. Help us not to be demoralized or uh, discouraged, but rather encouraged by your knowledge of us. Where we go, you go. Where we are is holy ground. Amen.